Hello, hello, everyone out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Belief. We are a conscious media company. We focus on bringing you guys stories revolving around money and business, health and wellness, true success, our universe, and world news. I'm Vanessa. And of course, you can always check us out at uh, believe.love, our website. On YouTube, youtube.com forward slash believe loves you. Our Facebook account as well, fa- facebook.com forward slash uh, believe loves you. And for our Apple users, believe iTunes.com. And for Android, believe Android.com. All right, we have a great show for you today. Um, we're going to start with money and business. We're going to discuss six tips on how or on how you can brand your startup business, on how to brand your startup business, or where you should start maybe. Now, whether you've given it much thought or not, uh, good branding is at the heart of any good business, right? Big names like Nike and Apple, um, they're great examples on how influential branding really is. I mean, you probably just envisioned the Nike swoosh or the Nike check, whatever you call it, or um, the Apple icon as soon as I just mentioned them, right? Branding is the process of forming memories, emotions, and a relationship around your company or your brand in the consumer's mind. Um, So it's pretty important. It's a pretty important part of the process when you're starting up or, you know, during that startup day when you're really trying to figure out what's going on with your business. Branding is huge. And you really want to give this some thought because it's how your consumers will identify with you or identify you um, as a company. But it goes to say also that great branding, it's when the connection and the belief is so strong that your consumers truly take on your brand and identify, you know, an identity as their own. They take on the brand and the identity as their own. They wear it as if it is their own. So how do you do this, right? If you're just starting out, there's so many great uh, branding advice that you can find. There's sites, blogs, books. I mean, it goes on forever. We can find information on it. But they're usually talking about how to keep your brand consistent um, or, you know, how to make sure that it's improving. Um, What if your company isn't established? You know, what if you're not you're not an established company, but you still need to know about, you know, the the importance of branding and you need to understand it? Well, of course, this will definitely take some work. Right. You'll find when it comes to establishing the core features and the qualities of your brand, you'll need a little time and definitely research as well. And an in-depth understanding of how your company will operate. So you'll want to start first with identifying your target market. Who are you marketing to? Who do you plan or who do you anticipate your consumers will be? Your messaging and your imagery should totally reflect this. It should be unique and it should be one that is very um, similar to your target demographic. Trying to target everyone is a bit of a risk. I mean, you may cast a wider net, but um, you may not end up, you may be less relevant or, you know, less, less important to any given individual in that group. So it's best that you really stick to just one or two really key target demographics and then slowly expand from there. Think critically about these demographics as well and do your research, truly. Um, Who are they? You know, what, what do they need? What do they want? How do they act? Um, What do they like? How do they like to be spoken to? You want to do all this research so that you don't leave anything up to the unknown and you um, totally, totally have a a broad and great understanding of your target market. 
if you're marketing to millennials, maybe you'll want to do something, you know, down to earth, maybe a little edgy, you know, artsy, maybe an artsy approach, um, you know, but maybe if you're doing it in the opposite direction and you're maybe marketing towards, you know, professionals, business professionals, Fortune 500, maybe you want to stick with something more tr traditional, traditional fonts, classic imagery. You know, you really want to focus on that target market. It'll give you a better understanding on where you should go next. Next, though, for number two would be to learn your competitors' brands. That is so huge. You should um, evaluate your competitors' brands. You can learn so much about marketing in your industry just by studying the already established uh, companies and the entities, right? What do their logos look like? Um, how are they different from one another? What's, what's the new unique quality? How do they talk to your shared consumer base? These are all things that you want to know. It's truly, truly important that you don't take these qualities. You know, don't copy your competitors, of course. Instead, look at the motivations behind them behind those choices and follow those patterns and see what it is that they were, that they saw and work with that. Number three would be um, to separate your unique differentiators. Identify what will make your brand unique. Um, why should consumers switch from your competitors to your brand or your company? Um, this should definitely stem from your business plan um, in general. It should be something that's already, you know, understood and in the works from the very, very beginning of your brand and your um, company. For example, if you're offering lower pricing than your competitors, and that's something that you're definitely going to want to emphasize in your branding. Otherwise, just find something that really will make you stand out, something that makes it so different. Like if other brands are a little more traditional, more conservative. Maybe you'll want to come in with a more of an edgy approach, cutting edge, maybe more with a younger vibe. You know, you want to switch it up and you want to be different from your competitors and you want to be clearly different from the, your competitors. You need to be unique. Um, what did it stand out? Number four is define your brand as a person. This is actually a very, very good one. And, um, it's huge. I feel like every single marketing um, strategist or any kind of business owner that I've ever spoke to, they're always talking about this, the avatar. Once you've done your research on your demographic and you've gathered all of your information, you have all that, and you begin brainstorming, try defining your brand as a person rather than just a logo. If your company were a person, what type of person would they be? Would it be male or female, old or young? You know, what kind of wardrobe would this brand choose? How would they speak? How would they communicate with other people? Build an avatar for your ideal consumer or your company, whichever one makes more sense to you. Essentially, both of them um, will get you the same result, whether you look at it as your ideal consumer, build that person, or you want to build your actual company. It should lead you in the same direction. And this definitely goes hand in hand with your demographic. Your avatar and your ideal demographic or your target demographic, they should match in some way or be intertwined or, you know, clearly connected in some way. Number five would be to apply your brand personality to multiple areas. Now, you're going to want to expand on your brand um, or your person. Um, think about these qualities and how they might translate to more tangible areas of the marketing strategy. Like what colors would be associated with your brand or your person? What might the logo look like? How will your voice come across to your audience and to, you know, to your content and all the promotional um, information that you're going to provide? Imagine your person or your brand personality as a figure engaging with individual members of your target demographic. Think of how progressive invented flow. Right. She, she's quirky. She's friendly. She's reliable. 
right? So when you think about progressive, you think about friendly, fun, upbeat people, right? That it just goes hands in hand because of the, the brand that they've created. Six would be to get help, right? Now, now that you've got your core idea, you know what your brand is about and you, more or less, right? Everything is in place and you totally feel like you have a better understanding of your company and the direction that it's gonna go and how it's gonna look and how it's gonna translate to others. But you may need a little outside help when you get to this point, unless you have experience in graphic design, you know, creative directors, um, or maybe if you have an interest in taking that on and learning it and, you know, of course, working all that out. You may want to hire a professional, though, if, if that's not how you're thinking. It's important that you definitely remain a huge part of the process, though. Um, you want to keep your entire team in line with your vision and how the brand will be. You'll have to ensure that your entire team is on board, of course, in the brand, with the brand, and using it um, correctly in every single application. This is where content writers come into play, right? You want to make sure that everything is consistent. No matter where your logo is, no matter where your brand is, it's completely meeting the vision for every other place that it is. It's also a good idea to check in every few years with your company, with your brand, maybe update some things if needed, of course. Things change, but more importantly, you wanna remain consistent. You wanna keep a consistency, you wanna be reliable. Consumers, they wanna wake up every day knowing, knowing who you are. You don't wanna just change the next day um, out of nowhere. You definitely want to be consistent and your brand will increase in when visibility, authority and retention potential of your company just by remaining consistent. So there you guys have it. Six tips on how you can brand your startup. You know, don't discourage yourself just because you're just starting up. I know it's going to be difficult when you're looking into branding techniques because they're going to talk to you about improving, improving, improving. And it, it, you're not going to hear so much about starting up. But I promise you there is information out there and definitely search for it. Um, I hope that this definitely helped you, though, on getting, you know, the first foot um, through the door. Definitely, definitely do your research, though. Look into your target market. Research your competitors. Constantly, constantly learn about your industry because things are always changing. But you definitely want you want to be, you know, hip and you want to be open to those changes. But you also want to be yourself. You want to still be grounded in what it is that your vision was and what your company stands for. So you want to have all that written down. You want to have all that in place and understood from the jump. So it's all about organization, people. It's all about just knowing what you want and sticking to that. <clears throat> we are going to mosey along here to our next uh, topic. Under true success, true success, whoa, <laughs> we're going to discuss six mindset, mind shifts. Um, yeah, clearly I can't speak today. <laughs> we're going to discuss six mindset shifts that will improve your life. Now, is it true that people have this like natural resistance to change? Well, it, it really may seem that way and it, it probably does in most cases, but if you truly look deeper, you'll begin to notice that what is actually going on is that people have a fear of feeling incompetent. They're resistant to feeling incompetent. I mean, we all wanna be right, right? We all at least want to be you know, acknowledged and heard. And almost all of us have a fear of being humiliated or embarrassed. But what if we could condition ourselves to feel good about really pushing our personal boundaries? What if our desires uh, to learn something new, you know, our desire to learn something new, outweighed our fear of feeling incompetent, right? Well, honestly, <laughs> this most likely won't come to you naturally. It's very unlikely that this mindset comes uh, naturally, but 
it's something that needs to be taught more often than not. But luckily, I'm here. I'm here to help. <laughs> all seriousness, though, in all seriousness, before I continue, I just want um, you guys to keep in mind the words of JFK. There's this, a quote that I wanted to share with you. The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. I love that quote because it it's a valuable lesson and it reminds us that we truly, if we truly, truly want to make a change, then we have to work at it even when things are good, right? Even when we're comfortable, even when we like least want to or expect it. But also learning to value discomfort, disequilibrium, disorientation, it only makes you stronger and it makes you better prepared for what's going to come up next. This is where our greatest, greatest growth takes place, where we least expect it, right? Our discomfort zone. So how do we do this, right? I mean, it all sounds great. It all sounds fun and dandy, but how do we do that? I think it begins with our mindset, truly. Our attitude towards life and ourselves and other people. Every day we are mentally, you know, programming ourselves and we're we're just training ourselves to, you know, for the day, basically, and for our life. Every day mentally where we are doing something or other that is preparing us for our life, for the rest of our life. You know, if you wake up telling yourself it's going to be a horrible day and not even coffee can get you, you know, out of this mood or anything like that, then most likely that's exactly what's going to happen. You're most likely going to have a very boring or maybe sluggish day because that's what you put in the air. That's what that's the energy that you put forward. So you really want to be mindful of how we're programming ourselves and how we're how we're allowing ourselves to do what we're allowing ourselves to get away with really so let's begin first question the status quo practicing the skill of critical unlearning what do we need to stop doing you know what is it right now that you think that you should forget about you should ignore Things that, you know, you need to leave behind. Things that are just not serving you anymore as far as, you know, your growth and your progression in life. It's important to know the answers to these questions. Um, if you want to grow and you want to move forward, then you really need to know what's holding you back. You need to know what's keeping you stagnant. So question the status quo. Question every little move you make. Is it the right move? Should I be doing this? Is there something better I could be doing? Question, question, question. Number two is to challenge your assumptions. I think we can just look at like the ways of our world today. Look at science, look at, uh, look at medicine, and we'll begin to understand why it's crucial to question our methods. We need to continually question our methods and the way that we do things, especially in, this, uh, in our Western world here. Just because you've done something one way for years doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right way to do it or that it's the way that you need to continue to do it or that it's the only way to do it, right? Go beneath the surface and truly, truly discover the belief behind that motivation, behind that driving behavior. What is it that you believe? What is the belief behind the habit or process that you were taught? Even if the belief is accurate, ask yourself if it still applies today. Does this still apply to what's going on right now in front of me? Challenge your beliefs and your assumptions. If they're valid, then you'll just be more committed. The commitment will just get deeper. It'll be stronger. It'll be known. It'll be understood. Um, and if not, you know, if if the belief was not accurate, then you're just going to 
you know, you're going to want to lean towards trying something new, right? Looking at it from a different perspective. That brings me to number three. Try something new. This can often lead to something better. Some things can be introduced through other people. Um, if not, you know, then <clears throat> it could be a simple, it could be as simple as an unfamiliar food that you're trying, or, you know, maybe just going, you know, to a new restaurant, just doing something new. It can be so, so simple. Experiment, test, expose yourself to different things. Don't trick yourself into seeing danger where there's only difference. Truly. Number four is uh, repurpose something old. This can be applied to like so many things in our lives. Sometimes we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We, we all know that expression. There's so much to learn. Sometimes the principle is good, but the, you know, the delivery system is out of date. You want to be mindful of that though. You don't want to just get rid of everything when it's just one little thing that's not working. So it's more than just recycling though. It's, you know, it's about our attitude, ideas, emotional intelligence, money, simplicity, um, wisdom even. There's so much to learn about from our ancestors, from those who were here before us. There is so much. And so we definitely want to remember that and keep that in mind. Um, always, <laughs> always remember that. Number five is to connect with the bigger picture. Synth synthesizing your life illuminates your life. Learning and growing, it's about capacity and skill for sure, but it's also about connecting the dots. It's about making, it's about coming to those understandings um, that you didn't know about before. And this can be hard to do without knowledge of your true purpose. If you don't actually know who you are or where you're trying to go, your biggest or your bigger purpose, what it is that you want, um, that could be difficult. So you want to take that time to understand that. So you can always connect to the bigger picture. You always, you'll always remind yourself, is this one step right here bringing me closer to my goal, my bigger picture, or is it bringing me further from my goal? But you need to know that to lead yourself in the right direction. You need to know where your, where your goal is. You need to know what your bigger picture is so that you can continually make sure that you're working towards that. And finally, our last one here, our last mindset shift is to trust what we know. I know that may seem like a contradiction from number two when I told you not to, well, to challenge your assumptions, but trusting what you know, what it is that you actually know, you really, really do know, <laughs> will give you the courage to try new things. It's, it's only going to invigorate you more. It's as simple as faith, right? That's, what, that's faith. It's, it, I mean, of course, we don't like to say that, you know, it's, it's faith and believing. It's like maybe there's this weirdness where maybe it's not true but at the end of the day faith is all about knowing it's about believing and understanding something that maybe you can't even explain but you do know it right you do know and it could be the littlest things i mean just a few examples i know people make mistakes right we all are carrying our own baggage and our own scars our own personal you know battle wounds um, I know that forgiveness is an act of self-interest. That's something that I know. Um, I also know that the difference between a rut and, um, you know, a grave is, is the depth, right? We can all, we determine how big or bad things are going to be. Those are just things that I know, right? Those are things that I tell myself to get through my day. I remind myself of those little things. Um, just to make myself, just to make the day better, to make it easier. Maybe if I'm faced with challenges, whatever it is, 
sometimes just to humble myself, just to remind myself that I am just a little piece of this big, big puzzle. You're so much more in control of your life than you think, than I think that we're even like taught to believe. Um, but you do have to work at it. I think it's something that you have to practice, you have to engage in it, and you have to shift your mindset, for sure. Always put your best foot forward. I believe that developing ourselves begins with developing our minds. We're gonna move over to our universe and what is new in the world of quantum physics, right? What comes to the what comes to mind when I say teleportation? When you hear the term teleportation, what do you think of? Most likely, you're probably thinking of like sci-fi movies and beat me up Scotty and all that Star Trek and all that kind of crazy sci-fi phenomenons. But it's actually quite different. It's a different process than we've been led to believe by Hollywood filmmakers. Just a little different. <clears throat> quantum teleportation, it relies on quantum entanglement. Now what that is, quantum entanglement is a situation, whoa, it's a situation where one set of quantum objects such as photons form at the same instant and point in space. In this way, they share the exact same existence. That's what they say. They share the same existence. And this continued existence, it goes on even when the photon or the object, objects, I'm sorry, are separated. Meaning that a measurement on one immediately influences the state or the quality of the other, regardless of the distance. It could literally be on two opposite sides of the universe. Now this link, can be used to transmit quantum information by downloading the information associated with one photon over an entangled link to another photon. And that second photon takes the on the identity of the first. Whew. Now, I know you may be thinking, I know that was a lot of information. You may be thinking like, what did you just say? <laughs> I'm gonna show you guys a two minute clip here on, and it's probably gonna give you a better understanding of what quantum entanglement is. The quantum world is a spooky place. A lot of that spookiness is due to something called entanglement. That's when two particles become mysteriously linked. When you measure some property like spin of one particle, you automatically know what the spin of its partner will be, even if that other particle is on the opposite side of the universe. Weird, right? Let's break it down. Imagine each particle is a coin. Spin those coins on a table. Will they land heads or tails? You don't know. Similarly, a particle's spin is a mystery until you measure it. Now, let's assume these coins become entangled. They're still spinning, Finally, one lands. You see that it's heads. Now you know that the other coin, whenever it lands, will be tails, guaranteed. The coins, or particles, aren't communicating. One doesn't call up the other one and tell it to land tails. Instead, they're like two parts of a whole with a shared history and a mysterious, inexplicable cosmic connection. That's the magic of quantum entanglement. 
Physicists have been exploring how to use entangled particles to build powerful quantum computers and unbreakable ciphers. But now, some scientists think that such a long-distance connection has more fundamental importance. Quantum entanglement may serve as the thread that stitches space together. Researchers studying mathematical models of the universe have found that cutting the link between previously entangled particles is like tearing apart the fabric of space-time. So entanglement, a concept Einstein strongly disliked, may actually be the key to making his general theory of relativity jive with quantum theory. Well, there you have it. <laughs> you may be asking yourself at this point, why are you telling me this? <laughs> why are we talking about teleportation and quantum physics and quantum entanglement, Vanessa? <laughs> well, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. <clears throat> it was nearly 27 years ago in the early 90s that scientists speculated that teleportation using quantum physics could be possible. Since then, the process has become a standard operation in the world of quantum physics. In fact, it was just last year that, the, that two separate teams conducted the world's first quantum teleportation outside of a lab. Now researchers in China are taking things or this process just a few steps further. They have successfully teleported a photon from Earth to a satellite orbiting more than 500 kilometers or 311 miles away. This satellite, known as Misius, it's a highly sensitive photoreceiver capable of detecting the quantum states of single photons fired from the ground. Misius was launched to allow scientists to test variable techno technological building blocks for quantum feats, including entanglement, cryptology, and teleportation. And now we know that teleportation was announced as one of the first results of these experiments. Not only did the team teleport the first object ever from the ground to orbit, but they also created the first satellite-to-ground quantum network, basically smashing the record for the longest distance for which entanglement has been measured to date. So in this particular instance, the Chinese team, they created entangled pairs of photons on the ground at a rate of about 4,000 per second. They then beamed one of those photons to the satellite and kept the other photon on the ground. Finally, they measured the photons on the ground and in orbit to confirm that the entanglement was taking place. And it was. <laughs> it may be worth noting here, though that there are limits to this technology, of course. They believe that they're definitely very, very, very far from um, <clears throat> transporting or teleporting larger objects, very large objects. But in theory, there's no maximum transportation distance. But entanglement it itself, the, that whole process is very fragile and links can easily be broken. So all in all, this research is groundbreaking, right? It's pretty cool. It's paving the way for even more ambitious studies of quantum teleportation. And the team says, this work establishes the first ground-to-satellite uplink for faithful and ultra-long-distance quantum teleportation, an essential step toward global-scale quantum internet. 
That is very, very, very cool. A lot of amazing things happening in the world of quantum physics, right? And lastly here, we'll be talking um, about some health and wellness. Have our brains gotten bigger? Hmm. <laughs> the complexities of the human brain have been a mysterious phenomenon for quite some time, right? Since like the beginning of time. Some may say that we are the apex predators of this planet, right? We're the dominant species. But we do have to beg the question, how exactly did that happen, right? I mean, we weren't the first ones on this planet. And does our intelligence have anything to do with that? It, it must, right? How does our intelligence allow for such world dominance, right? What, what's up with us? <laughs> to understand how the human brain maintains such intelligence or intellect capable of keeping us alive, not only alive, but on top, right? The apex predators, uh, so to speak. We must know about the state of all 86 billion neurons and their 100 trillion interconnections. We would also need to know the different levels of strengths present for their connection and the state of the more than 10,000 proteins at each of these connection points. That can be quite a bit, right? That's a lot of information to go through. According to neurobiologist Stephen Rose, it's still not enough. Not even that would be enough. We would still need to know how these connections have evolved over a person's lifetime and what the social circumstances were. And that could take some time, right? Even that is a lot. As a Wired um, article pointed out, humans have been trying to understand the mind for millennia. And metaphors from technology like cort cortical CPUs are one of the ways that we do that. Maybe it's comforting to frame a mystery in the familiar. In ancient Greece, the brain was a hydraulics system pumping the humors. In the 18th century, philosophers drew inspiration from the mechanical clock. Early neuroscientists from the 20th century described neurons as electric wires or phone lines passing signals like Morse code. And now, of course, we have the favorite metaphor is the computer, right? Uh, with its hardware and its software standing in for the biological brain and the processes of the mind. So this leaves a lot left unknown. There's still a lot that we don't understand here, right? We're trying to make sense of it with these metaphors. But we do have one understanding. We have giant brains. <laughs> right? They're huge. Within the last few decades, more has been revealed about the pace and stages of the brain growth in humans. Our brains quadruple in size with, in such a little time from birth to preschool. Um, and by the time that we're six, the brain has reached 90% of its final size, of its full size, even though the complex organ isn't completely done growing until about our mid-20s. One thing that is worth understanding, though, about our human behavior, which can definitely be attributed to like almost all things or most things to the functionality of the brain is nurture over nature is the brain. Yeah. Mark Maslin, professor of paleoclimatology, which is just the study of, of changes in climate, taking on the scale of the entire history of the earth. So going back to the very beginning, as early as they can go. And he's with UCLA. He explained 
It is the detailed knowledge of society and the need to track and control the ever-changing relationship between people around us that has created our huge, complex brain. It seems that our brains could be even more flexible than we previously thought. Recent genetic evidence suggests the modern human brain is more palatable and is modeled more by the surrounding environment than that of chimpanzees. Wow. If you didn't know the anatomy of the chimpanzee brain, it's controlled by their genes, hugely strongly controlled by their genes. What we're learning now about the modern human brain, it's largely shaped by our environment, regardless of our genetics, right? Just to give you a little example, this is why Europeans can travel across the globe, right? Come to America centuries later, forget their immigrants, <laughs> consider themselves Americans, right? And with little regard to their land, their life back in Europe and all that, now we're, we're Americans. It, it, they've changed their environment and they've adapted to it, right? It totally makes sense um, when we think of it that way because we've seen history over long courses and periods of time and I mean, we still see that now when we see, you know, immigrants of your first generation American, you know, like I am in my family, you see such a difference in culture and understanding and all these different things. And it has to do a lot with our environment. Essentially, we have pre-programmed brains, right? That hone in on this flexibility in order to deal with the environment and adapt within the society. Meaning that each new generation the brain structure is a little bit different than that of the last. So things are constantly, constantly changing. And it's just, it happens naturally. This goes back to the understanding of the plastic brain, right? Neuroplasticity, hugely fascinated with that. And how the brain has the ability to reorganize itself, both physically and functionally, throughout the entire lifetime of one human being. And, that has, and that's due to your environment, your emotions, your thoughts, your behavior, um, and so much more. Now, the human brain, you know, human behavior, psychology, it's always been so fascinating to me. It's been so interesting uh, to me personally. And I've always wondered this. I've always wondered if it was more about genetics and your upbringing or if it was about your environment and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it totally does make sense that it would be more about your environment um, these days. I mean, I think about bullying, um, especially now cyberbullying, right? The cyberbullying epidemic is just beyond crazy and out of control. I think about bullying though and how it affects these kids and how they're gonna grow and how they're gonna interact with other people when they get older and how that pattern kind of continues. But we have these stereotypes of like nerds or like techie type kids, you know, who probably got picked on in school, beat up, made fun of. And then they grow up, you know, sometimes to be, sometimes I'm saying, of course, to be, you know, arrogant, rude, or just like difficult individuals. And it has a lot to do with their environment, that their experiences, what they, what they went through. And I think that all of those things are connected. And those are the things that I feel like we definitely want to be more mindful of. Definitely more mindful of what we're mindful of, if you get what I'm saying. We have to remember that every little thing does affect us and we are adaptable creatures, right? We have neuroplasticity and we have many other functions in our body. You know, our, our cells regenerate themselves every month. <laughs> the skin I'm wearing right now is not the same skin I had last month. Like we are constantly, constantly changing and adapting. That's just who we are as human beings. So we have to be mindful of that. 
be mindful of how we treat others and be mindful of, you know, the ever-changing complex brain, right? So there you have it, ladies and gents, the brain and its crazy, crazy shifts. And yes, our brains have been getting bigger and it's because we... We are so involved with so many different things. We are very, very fast-paced and we're worrying about trends and what's hot and what's new. And we're more concerned, of course, with what's going on on social media and stuff like that. But that's what's also growing our brains and making it more kind of rapidly, rapidly growing it and increasing our understanding and all those different kinds of things. So thank you guys so much, so much for tuning in with us today uh, for Believe. You can check us out at believe.love, YouTube, of course, and subscribe, believe, I'm sorry, youtube.com forward slash believe loves you. I'm Vanessa, and I hope to see you guys back soon.